Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. So last week, Wade talked about fullness of life for everyone and how the table of God always has space for those who fit, who aren't desirable, and who've been told historically they don't belong. Specifically, he talked about our posture towards indigenous, deconstructed, LGBTQIA+, and how we want to be a people of loving hospitality, who reach out in kindness. People who are always making space in our church, in our homes, in our lives for those who are different from us, who need to hear the good news of the gospel, the good news that they are loved by their creator. The question is, though, how do we become this kind of people who walk in love, compassion, mercy, and kindness. Because it doesn't always come naturally to us, does it? At the end of this month, I'm turning 40, um, which I got my eyes tested because I hadn't done that in 10 years, and I felt like it was about time. And if you'll notice, all of my kids have glasses. And so there's some testing I had to do there. And it turns out I still have 20-20 vision, so I'm going to brag about that, which I did immediately to Sam and said, it's your fault the kids have glasses. But that's neither here nor there, but just had to throw that out. So at the end of the month, I'm turning 40. And as I get closer to it, I'm reflecting on who I am and whom I'm becoming. On the change I've seen or not seen, um, which is helpful when you've got journaling apps on your phone that you check in every decade, kind of like the eye doctor. And you realize sometimes you're still praying those same prayers. And I feel in myself um, a reflection of these words by folk singer Josh Ritter. He sings this. He says, I've been told that there's a power in the blood. Is it enough? Is it enough? Carry me back from where I am to where I was. And I hope there is some power in the blood. I've been told that all these ties will surely bind, a Bruce Springsteen reference in case you're wondering, and hold me tight, hold me tight. So I'm hanging at the end of my own line, and I hope that all these ties will surely bind. When, oh, when will I be changed? When, oh, when will I be changed? From this devil that I am, when, oh, when will I be changed? As much as I have this desire to become a person with good habits who's growing constantly in the fruit of the Spirit, I find myself not always who I want to be. And I often find myself lamenting with these words by Josh, when, oh, when will I be changed? Can anybody relate to this? hard. And let's take strangers out of the equation. Let's just think about those who are close to home, our close friends and our family. Do we always respond in love and kindness and compassion? If you want to know, you can ask my kids. They're sometimes the hardest to show the good news of a transformed life too. And so this morning, we want to talk about how do we become people who are constantly growing towards fullness of life. So let's pray again. Jesus, uh, we look to you. Think of Peter's words when he says, where else would we go? Only you have the words of everlasting life. And so we want to hear from you, Jesus, what you have to say. And so, uh, Spirit of the living God, would you come and fall fresh on us? Would you speak, would you direct, and would you guide us today? Praise the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jesus' central message that he taught 
throughout his, his ministry was, behold, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on which gospel you're reading, is drawing near. Now, the kingdom is what happens when heaven comes to earth. Or as you taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in the heaven. It's life as we were intended to live. Life as we will live one day when he comes and brings his kingdom in its fullness. Because we believe that when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, the angel said he would return in the same way that he came. And Corinthians tells us that when he returns, we will all be raised at the great resurrection. In Revelation, we read that when he comes, he's going to come to make all things new. And there will be a tree of life once again, and his leaves will be for the healing of the nations. Meaning there's some healing to be done. Perhaps it means that we have to learn how to live into that healing. We need to learn how to live into the new creation. And so Jesus comes and teaches about uh, the kingdom. And in Matthew's gospel, there's a central teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus' vision for life in the kingdom. This is Matthew 5 to 7. I recommend you read it and read it often. It's beautiful. It's amazing. He, he comes and he begins with the, the Beatitudes, and he announced who's uh, blessed in his kingdom. It's not those who are blessed in Rome. It's not those with power or influence or possessions. Instead, it's the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers. These are the kind of people who will inherit his kingdom. Not those who love the ways of Rome, who are self-sufficient, who don't want his way. And then he describes what it's like to live in the kingdom by giving his interpretation on the law and moving it from beyond behavior modification. Things like don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't perform your spiritual disciplines to be loved or important. But instead he talks about what Dallas Willard calls the renovation of the heart. About what's going on inside our hearts that causes those behaviors. And he invites us to be the kind of people who deal with the lust, anger, and greed in our lives. He invites us to, into a whole other way of living that involves humility and serving enemy love, creative nonviolence, and radical generosity. Because we know we are secure in the love of the king and his kingdom, which is a whole other way. One that's not built on greed, scarcity, power, violence, or any of the other ways of our kingdom, or the kingdoms of our world operate. Instead, the ways of his kingdom. And at the end of the sermon, he gives this parable. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fail, because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash, the word of the Lord. It's almost like Jesus knows our human nature, right? We can hear the best way to live, and we can even believe it's the best way to live. But it doesn't mean we always do it. We can even try and take some of its principles and try to add them to our lives. But it doesn't mean we always follow through. Jesus knows our proclivity will be to take these things and try and add them onto our already busy lives, try and add them onto our own kingdom. It's like how I know that it's good to drink water. My wife drinks a lot of water. She used to have this giant jug until our kid pulled it off the shelf and it shattered everywhere. I know that it's good 
to drink like eight glasses or eight liters, whatever it's supposed to be. Changes all the time. I know that doctors, social media influencers, celebrities recommend you drink a lot of water. I really like coffee. I can know this is the best thing to do. I can tell others, hey, you need to drink more water if you want more energy. It's really healthy for you. They might even do it. But it's not until I reorder my life and actually start drinking water, let alone lots of water, that is going to make a difference in my life. Anybody ever associate with that? Maybe it's not water, it's something else. That's why Jesus says these haunting words that are all too often ignored. Then you, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Not who, he who hears the words and agrees with them. Not whoever hears these words and says, that's a good idea. Instead, it's those who hear these words and change their lives as a result. That's called repenting changing direction. It's like the idea of reorienting your life from one North Star to another. And saying, no longer is this where I'm going to be headed, now I'm going to go this way. No longer based on what I think is best, but based on what the author of life says. And it's because of this. The way of Jesus is meant to be practiced. He says that when we do this, we're like someone who builds their lives on a foundation of rock. He's saying that his way is a solid foundation to build our life on not anything else, not even a light version of his word. Taking some of it, but not all of it. Instead, he says, all of it. Listen to these words of Eugene Peterson's translation, the message. He says, those words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your, to your standard of living, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. Now, I've done a lot of renos in my life. I've taken down houses down to studs and floorboards. Uh, anything above the foundation, it seems, I've done. You can totally change the look and a feel of a house. But no matter what you do, if your foundation is poor, it's not going to be solid. The most beautiful and trendy house can still crumble if its foundation isn't ready, isn't good. And we have a lot of things competing for the foundation of our lives or as the scripture calls them, different lords for our lives. Things like patriotism and freedom, left or right ideologies, liberalism, conservatism, Apple, Google, followers or likes, position or power, Albertan self-made people who pull themselves up from their bootstraps, flames or oilers, comfort or safety, love and family, need I go on. We have a lot of things scrambling for our attention and our affection that are saying, build your life on me, I can handle it. The problem is they can't do it, right, Oscar? These other things are not things to build our lives on. They're the incidental improvements to our lives, but all too often we turn them into foundational things. All too often we can vacillate between Christ and other things. But if we allow our lives to be built on any other foundation than him, Jesus says it's just going to fall apart. Because when we allow him to be our foundation, when we surrender to his way, not ours, we become the kind of people that can withstand any storm that comes our way. Because if you've been given some sort of message, now hear this, if you've been given some sort of message that says if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect in your life and things are going to go well, 
You'll never have problems, difficulties, or tragedies. You've been lied to and given a false gospel. If you've been told that if there's problems in your life, it's because of the judgment of God or you're doing something wrong, you've received a false gospel. You've received something that Jesus never promises. Instead, if you listen to the story, you'll see this. Everyone faces problems. Everyone faces difficulty. Everyone faces tragedies of some nature. The wise person builds their life on the rock and faces rain, flooding, and wind. The foolish person builds their life on the rock and faces flooding, rain, and wind. The storms are going to come. We will face difficulty, but with his help, we will become the kind of people whose lives are still congruent with the life of the kingdom, even in the face of problems. Because if we practice his way, we'll be able to be secure in him and our place in his kingdom, recognizing that life is more than what we can see, more than the amassing of possessions, more than position, power, or privileges, even more than the short years we have in this life. Because for those who know him, we know eternal life is actually about getting to know him. That's what Jesus says in John. This is eternal life, getting to know the Father and Christ Jesus he sent. And so as Jesus' followers, we're already living in the kingdom. We're already living everlasting lives. But with that said, the kingdom has not come with its fullness yet. Jesus has not returned. One day he will return and he will make all things new. And so when we live, though, in his lordship, with his foundation, with him, is it a North Star? What we discover is that as we practice the way of Jesus, we're actually practicing new creation. That when we live according to his way, we're actually living the kind of lives we'll be face or we'll be living after the great resurrection. This is one of the most compelling things in my life for following Jesus, is that he's teaching me the way that life will be lived one day. Not just for today, but I can live that kind of life today. That when I live a life of kindness and compassion, peace, forgiveness, simplicity, I'm living eternal kind of life right now. I want my life to be as congruent as possible with the life I will live for eternity. And he invites us into that kind of living. That as we learn how to tr- live in trust, peace, kindness, forgiveness, simplicity, serving others before ourselves, we are practicing new creation. We are practicing life as it will always be. Now, practicing the way of Jesus is difficult, though. Anybody ever tried to do it before? I assume so. It's hard. Even though it's the most natural way for a human to live, we're all twisted and broken by sin. And so we all gravitate towards broken ways, looking for life, meaning, fulfillment, and identity in things other than Jesus. And just like other things that require hard work, we need others to help us along the way. As we live life in the Jesus way, we become more and more the kind of people at the core who he created us to be, people who walk in loving kindness, People marked by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, which are descriptors of who Jesus is, meaning the Spirit's transforming us to be like Jesus. We are transformed into people of love, no longer governed by fear. No longer governed by chasing after broken foundations that offer life but cannot sustain us. Instead, what we find is life and life to the full. 
Now what I'm saying here might sound heavy. And you might be thinking, how can I actually do this? I don't even have the willpower to not go and grab extra chocolate chips from the pantry late at night. <clears throat> or maybe you're thinking, okay, this is great. Now I know what I need in order to receive love's, God's love, mercy, and salvation. Both those things are things we need to put to the side because I have good news for you. The way of Jesus is meant to be practiced with him. He doesn't leave us alone in this. He's not like, here's all the work you have to do, and I'm going to go sit at my desk over there, and if you have a problem, you better figure it out. And then when it's done, I'm going to come and tell you all the things you've done wrong. Jesus isn't like that. No, he invites us to apprentice with him, being with him, becoming like him, and doing what he does, because he is the master of the art of living. Nobody has lived a better life than he did. And so he wants to teach us how to live life. And then he sent his spirit to empower us to do so. But we don't apprentice with him to gain his presence, love, or acceptance. We already have that. It's based on his love, mercy, and grace. Receiving the gift he gave us through his death, resurrection, and ascension. Instead, it's precisely because we're already loved, accepted, and present to him that we want to live this way because we found him to be trustworthy and true, and why wouldn't we obey then? And then we practice spiritual practices or disciplines, not so we can earn his love or level up, but instead to be present to him, to be more aware of him, and to give him the freedom to transform us even more. And he's not asking us to do it alone. He's with us. Listen to what he says here in Matthew 11. These are familiar words for a lot of you probably, but come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Our lives make us pretty weary and burdened, right? He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus says he's like. He says he's gentle and humble. He says his yoke is easy and is light. This is uh, language from farming and two oxen going together and having yoke that would carry them together. He's saying, so come with me, and I'll teach you how to work this life. And I'm not going to work you until you collapse and then call you to get up and work again. Instead, I'm going to come and teach you to learn the way of rest because I'm going to carry it with you and giving you rest. And then here's the beautiful thing. The transformation is actually his work. Paul says this in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Did you begin the good work in you? Did I begin the good work in me? No, Jesus began that good work in us. And now it's his responsibility to take it to completion. Our transformation is his job, he says. Or, like the fruit of the Spirit, who's growing it? Is it us? No, it's not the fruit of trying really hard. It's the fruit the Spirit grows in you. And your work and my work is practicing things that will cause it to be like fertilized and weeded. And his work is to bring the rain and the sun. It's like the writer of Hebrews says, he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus got your faith started, and Jesus is going to perfect your faith. And in case you've forgotten, he won't leave you or forget you. He's with you always. But it's never also just about us and Jesus 
about me and Jesus or you and Jesus instead. It's about all of us and Jesus because the way of Jesus is meant to be practiced together. We can tend to get the idea to be extra spiritual means that we become some sort of mystic on a mountain, a recluse who has no time for anybody because they're too busy praying. Or maybe it's about our personal time with Jesus and it's all about what we do before we get up in the morning and get to work and it's then that window or maybe you do it at bed. Which personal time with Jesus is very important, but it's not everything. Instead, listen to what the author of Hebrews has to say. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another onward to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more until we see the day approaching. We need one another. We're created for one another. We need to meet together because we're designed for community. Think about it. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. In the same way, it's not good for us to be alone. We are made in the image of the triune God, which means we are made for self-giving community because God reveals himself in self-giving community. Jesus didn't call just one disciple. He called 12, and then he had so many more on top of that. And then when he sent them out to do work, did he ever send them out alone? No, he always sent them out in pairs because Jesus knows we need community. Because our spiritual formation is never for the sake of ourselves alone. It's not selfish. Instead, it's for the sake of others, to bless others, to be people of peace and good news. And then the author of Hebrews says it's to spur one another on. So a few years ago, and by a few, I mean 15 now, because I'm almost 40. When I was Ben's age, and young and hip like him, uh, I preached a sermon, and in my sermon I talked about the Battle of Marathon, um, which was this ancient, fun, anyways, the marathon was based on it. It was super incidental to my whole sermon. After the sermon, I got off the stage and was talking to one of the elders at the church, and he's like, oh, my daughter runs marathons. I thought, like, oh, that's great. And he's like, we should run a marathon. And I was like, have you seen me? This is not a thing that's going to happen. I don't run unless I'm chasing something. Mostly the ice cream truck at that point. But um, anyways, I was like, I should be healthier. This could be something to do. And so we tried. And so what we did is he lived three and a half kilometers from me. So he would get up earlier because he was interested in doing this. And he'd run to my house. He'd knock on the door and hopefully I'd be awake. And then I'd get down to the door, open up the door, and we'd run back to his house. And I'd be stuck there, so I'd have to run back to my house. It was actually, like, pretty smart. Now, you'll notice it was three and a half kilometers each way, which adds up to seven, which is not even a half of a marathon. But, you know, we'll work up to that one day. And we actually did really great. Like, we had a plan, I think it was five days a week. And, like, for, like, a month, we did this. And I started to become the kind of person that could run all the way to his house and then walk most of the way back. And eventually I became the person who could start running more and more of the way back. And then one day Arnett called me and was like, I can't go running tomorrow. I hurt my ankle. Now, having become the kind of person that could run there and back, you'd assume I would do what? No, I gave up. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is great. Now we'll move on with life. Because I needed his help. I needed someone to spur me on towards healthy movement. In the same way, we need one another to spur us on towards healthy movement. We need one another to push us onwards because there's a lot of distractions. 
there's a lot of other things that are pulling us into their gravity. And when we have one another, we can pull each other back, and we can remind each other of faithfulness, and we can encourage one another. Yes, amen. Because when we encourage one another, when we practice love and good deeds, we become good news to a world that so desperately needs good news. When we bring out the God colors in our world, we bring out the good, the true, and the beautiful. Let's be that kind of people. And so we have four primary vehicles for growing with one another in community. The first of which, if you're here this morning or online, you're already doing. At least for the first time, it's gathering together on a Sunday morning. On Sunday mornings, we spend time reorienting our lives around the way of Jesus through prayer, singing together, liturgy, sitting under the word, and so on. And so keep meeting together. The second thing we have is serving together. When we practice serving together, we're practicing the way of Jesus because Jesus invites us into a life where we serve one another, where we put others before ourselves. I found in serving, it's one of the best ways I've gotten to know others, where I found deep levels of community. Some of my closest community has been with the amazing youth leaders I've had the privilege to share with over the years, where we'd be spending every Wednesday together learning from the kids, throwing dodgeballs at the kids, shooting Nerf darts at the kids, lamenting that we missed those shots, whatever, but having fun and encouraging. And then as we spent time with the students, learning how God was at work in their lives and learning from them. And as we spent time together, we grew together. And we started being able to call each other into deeper life. There's plenty of ways you can serve here. I'd encourage you. One of the primary ways we need people to serve right now is in our kids' ministry. We've got some holes there. Uh, you can talk to me after the service about some of those places. But we'd love to see more people help out with our kids. Our kids need people who are present who are taking time with, taking their lives and being present and showing the love of Christ just by being there. Who are speaking love of Christ through their actions and then also through their words and who are present and available. Our kids need to hear more and more about the God who loves them. And so come and serve if you can. There's also other ways if that's not the right place for you. And then the third is life groups. These groups are groups of about 10 to 12 that meet together to study, pray, serve. They're an intentional community designed around practicing the way of Jesus together. We have a number of groups getting started right away, and so if you're interested in doing or learning more, you can go on our website or contact Shalina for more information. I've been in many life groups through the year, and one of the years, and one of the things I've learned is we all see each other so, or see God so differently by the, based on the way he's wired us. Uh, Manny, I got a, a picture here. So anybody know who this is? John Lennon, the third best Beatle. Maybe fourth. I really like Ringo, too. No. So this is a picture of downtown Calgary. I don't know if that mural still exists or not. My dad's office was right across the road from this. And so uh, when I was in my dad's office talking to him, I worked for him uh, over summers filing, filing microfiche which were these really annoying little pieces of plastic that had pages on them, and you blow them up and look at them. And I ended up cutting my arms all over because I was sitting there. Anyways, blah, 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 blah. So when I go to my dad's office, I'd, I'd look out his window, and I could see, like, part of John's mouth. Because it was so close, that's all you could see. But if I went to his partner's office, I could see another part of John's mouth. 
If I went upstairs, I could see part of John's nose. If I went up to the next level, I could see his eyes. But it wasn't until I stepped outside the building that I could see the whole picture. Our lives with God are a lot the same way. We each have a window that we see God through. Based on the way he's made us, based on our experiences with him, the way we learn our habits and behaviors. And so when we look at God through the window of our lives, we might see part of his mouth or part of his nose or part of his eyes. But when we get together in community and we start sharing more about who God is, we start getting a much fuller picture. We bring our windows together. And we see a God who's so much greater than we could ever imagine. It's beautiful. And so I encourage you to join a life group. And then the last thing is something we're just beginning, and these are called apprenticeship groups. And these groups are designed around meeting in groups of two or three with the goal of pushing one another onwards to love and good deeds and apprenticing with Jesus. These groups have no leaders, but instead peer-to-peer. They're designed to meet around our schedules of two to three people, not a bunch more, and they're easier to be flexible. Because of the size of this group, they can be online or in person, and they have four main movements, the first of which is confession. It's a practice where we practice the kingdom value of honesty with one another, both in how we've missed the mark and how we're seeing God at work in our lives. And we practice reading scripture and so in between our groups meeting, we read a chunk of scripture. So my, my group's reading Acts 1 to 7 two times in the two weeks of between of when we met. And uh, last time we did it, or sorry, two times ago when we did it, the other two guys in my group did it, and I didn't. So we got to read it all over again, because if somebody doesn't finish the reading, we've got to do it again. And then this last time, one buddy, somebody else in the group didn't, so we get to do it again. It's because I know in my life, it's easy to push things off. And forget. And so if I have somebody who's going to be calling me onwards, I'm going to want to do it. And so we, we read the scripture and we talk about it and say, what's Jesus up to? What's he been speaking to you? What's he sharing with you? And then we challenge each other to live out of that. And the third thing we do is we practice different spiritual disciplines together, things like silence or fasting, praying scripture, Lectio Divina, different things at different times, hoping to discover how God meets us. And then lastly, in these apprenticeship groups, we intentionally pray for one another, and we pray for those in our lives that don't know Jesus. And so we're getting these things started uh, right away here. Uh, We're going to do an info session on September 26th at 7 p.m. You don't need to register, but if you want more information about them, you can talk to me. I've been doing these on and off for about 15 years in my own life, and I found nothing has actually pushed me more and more to be like Jesus in these things. The same way that being in small groups and serving have also pushed me so much more to be like Jesus. I encourage you, take some time and reflect on this question. How am I inviting someone into my journey of following Jesus? Do I have other traveling companions? Who have I asked to walk the Jesus way with me? And if you don't have somebody reach out. And if you need help doing that, contact the staff. We can help you with that. So we're going to come now uh, to the table. And so if you don't have your elements uh, there at the tables at the back, when we come to the table, we practice communion, which is union with God, but also union with one another. That when we We break the bread and eat the bread, and when we drink the juice together. There's also something happening on a a spiritual level between us all. 
Or God's not just communing with us, he's individually, he's communing us with one another too. And this practice is so much greater, I think, than I realize. But as we've been doing this weekly for a few years now, I just keep learning more and more about what God's up to in the midst of it. And so we come to the table every week, and we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Let's break it together. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's eat together. And then Jesus took the cup and blessed it. And he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let's remember the gospel together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is reigning, and Christ will come again. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.